Hey guys, Danny here, Editorial Director of Courier. You're listening to The Courier Weekly, a podcast all about working better and living smarter. This week is all about making a childhood dream come true. A decade ago, when Londoner Kaj Glover was a teenager, he took a trip to Japan with his mother and became obsessed with super high-quality Japanese clothing. He promised that one day, if he ever started a company himself, he would base it on a very particular and very rare type of production process called loop-wheeling. Well, last week, after years of hustling, Kaj made good on that dream, and he launched his own brand called Fuji and Hakone. I first heard about Kaj from our mutual friend Mills, the co-founder of Us2, who sent me back-to-back voice notes about just how amazing Kaj is, and how he's worked his ass off, and why I just have to meet him. Here's a taste of one of those notes. Hello, mate. Well, obviously, I'm not the best person to actually talk about this, because obviously Kaj is, but Kaj has been working at Us2 for like five, six years. But on the side for the last two years, more, two and a half years, actually, it's been a non-stop journey. He's always had this passion since he was a little kid that he was going to bring this sort of special texture, this special way of making T-shirts from Japan. He travelled out with his mum years and years and years ago when he was younger. And since then, he's just always been obsessed by it. And two and a half years ago, he just thought, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to start bringing this brand to life. And um, he launched it tomorrow. I mean, it's going to be like 80 pieces only, but it's unbelievable. He's, he's just such an incredible human. He really is. But he's got such a wonderful story. He's, he's just so fucking genuine. And what he's doing is just brilliant. He's design-led. It's super small. He's just gold. Everything about him is genuine. Everything about him. So how could he not be intrigued by something like that? This week, I'm with Kaj for an in-depth look at how one guy with zero fashion experience followed up on his dreams and ended up making something pretty damn impressive. We really get into the weeds here, so if you get excited by things like supply chains and pricing, minimum order quantities, and obscure manufacturing machines, this show is for you. Here's Kaj. So I'm the youngest of three, basically, and my mum had, I think she started with my first brother, and said when he's 16, he could go to any country in the world. So I kind of heard his stories of going. Then my brother, my middle brother, who's two years older than me, I kind of had a closer experience of seeing his kind of coming of age, 16. And he went to Cuba and they had like this crazy time and all the images. And it was just like, shit, where am I going to go? You know what I mean? I had no real intention other than I thought maybe the Caribbean or somewhere in Africa. And then kind of just as getting up to the 16 year age and cashing in on that promise, I'd um, kind of fallen in, <laughs> fallen in love with just streetwear, sneaker culture. And I was searching everywhere for this G-Shock, I came across it. It was um, yellow and black, I think it was the GA1003. And I couldn't find it anywhere, I couldn't find it online to deliver to the UK. eBay, I was unsure because it probably fake, I just wasn't sure. And then I was like, you know what? There's only one place where this really, they're, they're going to have this. I just know. I didn't even look into it. I said, they got it in Japan. And then from that moment, Japan was in my head and it just had to be Japan. Was your mom like, ah, oh, shit, that's an expensive flight? <laughs> yes, more. She was like, it's, it's long because she hates long flights. And it was like 12 hours. And she was like, oh, what are you doing? Are you sure? I don't think she really had any interest in kind of traveling to that part of the world either. So... She weren't really on it. <laughs> she weren't really on it. As we got there, and, and as I told the story, you know, it was like such a moment for the both of us because we, we both kind of experienced such a different and interesting culture, but that also had like bits that we really related to. Do you know what I mean? Like we, there was moments in Japan where we were searching for a, an African restaurant and we, we found this small kind of hole in the wall 
restaurant and it was just like the most amazing experience. Do you know what I mean? So kind of going to Japan and then being around all of this, not just interesting culture, but a culture that was interested in, in me and or people that look like me, do you know what I mean? Or it was like, cool, yeah, I need to come here. This is like a sick middle ground. I just love it. So yeah, that's kind of where it all started. We went to Japan that first time. Again, as I said, I was into streetwear and stuff like that. So there was a brand called Lupuila, which I still kind of, that's like my dream collaboration. They're like the OGs and the kind of manufacturing that I'm looking to go down. They had done a collab with Nike. In the press release, they had the garments with no models in, floating, and there was like beads of water just sitting on top of the fabric. And I was like, whoa, like my mind was like, wait, is it not soaking up? Is it waterproof? Like, what the fuck? Like, how has this even happened? I was just fixated on this idea of like cotton that's waterproof. I was like, what? Imagine, do you know what I mean? And then it was Nike, so you know, like every kid's dream, you're just like, yeah, 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 cool. When I was in Japan, it was like, in my head, there's something I need to feel, something I need to see. And I was also really interested in like Ralph Lauren around the time and all of the real kind of American heritage brands. And there was just ample in Japan as well. Like, I mean, the Japanese do it better than the Americans do these days. Later, my years of research kind of, yeah, really cleared me up on why that was at the time. But I had no idea. So I'm just like, what? They love Ralph Lauren too. <laughs> like, I love Ralph Lauren. So it was just mad. I can't remember the department store. I went to my mum and we was walking around it was like a new museum, man. I asked someone, have they got a Luke Wheeler Nike collaboration? And he said, yes. It's funny because my mum actually reminded me of this story the other day. She was like, remember when you asked the guy and he had to like walk through free security? And like, he went on this such a long journey to get this guy. It was like it was so guarded. Then he brought it out and I was feeling it. It was like, I think about three, four hundred dollars for a hoodie. It wasn't going to happen, but I was just obsessed. So yeah, from that moment, I kind of was like, if I ever make a clothing line, it's got to be this. I mean, I was kind of Instagram stalking you and I saw that you, you were posting about this brand in 2017 and you just launched it now. So you've been working on this for like years and, you know, you nailed kind of the branding and the logo and the name and everything three years ago. So when you decided to actually pull the trigger and say, I'm going to do this thing, what was the first step? What did you actually do? Did you book another flight to Japan immediately and be like, all right, let me find this machine? Cool. Exactly. So that's where it kind of started. It was last year, actually, I went to Japan, so 2019. First of all, thank you for saying that the branding and everything was is together because that was the early stuff in 2017 was me spitballing, man. That was me on Photoshop and whatever and just coming up with ideas and just being like, this would be a cool aesthetic or this would be a good piece of something for someone to scroll back down to, you know, at the beginning. So started like that, started slow. Then it was like, your garment, your product is your USP. So you need to get as close to that garment as possible. And that was in Japan. So... Even prior to going in 2019, I'd started kind of communications just over email with this manufacturer that I'd found on Alibaba initially. But I don't know if you've had any experience with Alibaba, but I'm sure anyone who has, they know how inconsistent and how choppy and how like just brain freeze it can be. Yeah, it was almost like two or three years just through emails, just trying to gain some sort of rapport. I said I went to Central St. Martins, I was studying like my <laughs> final year. <laughs> I was doing this, um, I did an essay on like international trade and influence and stuff like that. And I really, at the end of it, really wanted to produce this line. They were into it. And that was all bullshit, right? That was all bullshit, man. No. <laughs> Wait, so to be clear, so you, I mean, the vision was to make these really high quality products using Japanese manufacturing techniques. So why were you then going through Alibaba? Were you looking for manufacturers in Japan through Alibaba? 
it was random. I didn't mean to go to Alibaba, but I was looking for a loophole machine or a loophole manufacturer, which is referred to as Suriyami key in Japanese. And I was kind of like pulling all these phrase words and just plugging them into Alibaba. And then lo and behold, one popped up and I was like, oh shit, okay, like, wait, I can actually put an order in. This is crazy, like what? So I started off just with a t-shirt and some hoodies and I got them blank. I just had them sent over blank from Japan and then did all like screen print and all the applique badge stuff that I wanted to do here in the UK. But of course that process is one, quite unethical. <laughs> and there's a lot of miles in there. There's a lot of stuff that I kind of wanted to cut down on. What's unethical? Kind of just having it shipped from Japan to here, from here to kind of ship it to the screen printers and to do all the bits to have it shipped back to me. What, you mean the carbon footprint is too big? It was just something in the back of my head that was niggling me. Like you need to make this process a lot easier. And there was only one way I thought I could do that it was going to Japan. I just had to go and see someone. I had to go and put some faces to, to names. So I get there, I'm like, cool, I'm here. What day's good? Booked in a day. They sent me the location. I've taken hours to try and find it. This is in Osaka. That's where we started. Meet my girlfriend there, sorry. And then we get there and they're literally, you'd think I was, they were so happy to see me that I was like, you don't even understand that. <laughs> you don't even understand. I'm crying inside. Was this because Japanese people are just so hospitable? Or they didn't know who you were and they thought you were like, you know? <laughs> no, I don't think they knew or gave a damn who I was. I don't think they, I, don't, I just think they were impressed that I was actually here in, in physical. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people get to a point in kind of starting a company or a clothing company and then reality hits and you're almost like, shit, okay. Maybe let me come back to that. So they're like, this young boy, like, don't even know if they remembered my St. Martin story or not, but they're thinking, this young man from fashion school is actually, we've been speaking to him for three years and he's here. Like, what? So they gave me the grand tour. I saw everyone. I shook everyone's hand. It was like this Amazing. surreal experience. Red carpet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so then, yeah, it'd be great if I could say yeah, the story when I came back from Japan was like, yeah, smooth sailing, but definitely wasn't. It was like 18 months of getting design files in the right format. I remember I'm sending them like PNGs and stuff like that. And for a while it's okay, but then you need to start sending, you know, your screens and, and your line sheets and, and everything. So yeah, it was a lot of back and forth and long story short, we kind of got all the files over, things were nice, things were smooth, but two things happened. One was by the time I was ready to order, because they produced the garments um, on this slow machine and sloopable machine, which takes like, 10 times slower than your kind of normal average machine now to produce garments. You know what I mean? They produce a fraction of your kind of high-speed machines. So that meant by the time I wanted to order, they had no Excels. They had like all these odd numbers of stock. And I was just like, okay, first hurdle. But I took it anyway. The second was they went forward and produced all the garments before I like officially signed off or I had cost per unit. So as you can imagine, all my estimations and all my prices was just all made up. <laughs> it's just like, and when I did get the reality of the cost per unit, oh shit, I had to refactor and rethink a lot of stuff because you know, made in Japan, this process, it starts to add up. <laughs> when you now look at your prices, I mean, obviously they're high. You're making a luxury product, right? I mean, they look incredibly high quality. But your sweatshirts are, you know, 180, 190, right? At the time, do you think they would be anywhere near that? Or were you like, just kind of making it up as you were going along? At the time, I thought I could have the potential to kind of get there. But I was like, nah, come on, 60 to 80 pounds. That's like your, where people want to comfortably buy their sweaters and hoodies and stuff like that. 
So the reality of depressing just kind of reaffirmed what this whole journey was about. And and especially like with that big part of what we've seen in fashion with streetwear and high fashion kind of merging over the last three, four years. I think in the midst of that, a lot of brands have just have been able to upsell their identity without really taking into consideration the quality. So it was a lot of Gildans and and whatever blanks with a brand identity which may have a following which now now makes this t-shirt worth 60 pounds and i'm like says who like no way i'm not doing that so my whole kind of mission was to disrupt that was like how do we make sick streetwear that is just as cool sick brand sick identity but worth the quality exactly something we can actually say you can keep this for life yeah instead of buying a logo you're actually buying the quality and i guess on the pricing thing is like whatever you price it you'll find probably a you know a customer base for that price so it's all about how you position your brand if you sell it for 70 quid then you're going to get people who could afford 70 quid sweatshirts but if you set it for 180 you're going to get people who are you know obsessed with quality and kind of understand the quality but you'll be pricing out probably 90 percent of the market who couldn't afford that <laughs> yeah but and, and that is something that i, that I seriously considered because like my kind of community and work and stuff like kind of playing back and giving back to younger designers and younger creatives is super important to me. So I was also conscious of the fact that I'm pricing these guys out. And you had the name Fuji Anakone. Even before you returned to Japan last year, what's the name from? So if you see just at the bottom of that, it says Tokyo Grand Full Day Tour afternoon. And this one says Mount Fuji and Hakone. So you're holding up a patch right now for those who can't see. So the stickers or those patches? So these are stickers. So we went on an excursion to Mount Fuji. You and your mum? Me and my mum. So my mum booked it, you know, at that age, you're just like, what do I do? Wake up, go to McDonald's or whatever, check some shit out. But your mum your had this whole plan. She was like, yeah, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. She's like, yeah, we're going to get on this bus for how many hours? And I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> but whilst we were doing it, they'd given out these stickers. I've got pictures of myself wearing it, like, on my chest, hair. Like, the whole group literally stuck it on themselves as badges. And I was like, the whole Ralph Lauren at the time just kind of pinged. And I was like, shit, this is it. Like, this is it. I was on the coach back to the hotel. And I just stuck them on a bit of newspaper. And I said, yeah, whenever I do make that brand, this is going to feature. That's so cool, man. (laughs) Thank you, bro. It was a great reference to be able to point back to and then when I'd kind of recreated some of the logo that you see there, it just said Mount Fuji and Hakone and I was stuck on a name and I was like, just Fuji and Hakone, it sounds right. Like it sounds, it sounds nice. I love it. So like 16 year old you wearing a sticker, you know, over your heart on a field trip, essentially, you're literally, you've recreated that as your brand logo. And it, you know, on your t-shirts, the logos and, and sweatshirts are in the same place, right? Yeah, on the sweat, they are. I've just put, just kind of doubled them up. So you've got like a, a double patch. <laughs> Do you think you're going to get some like, you know, tourism company from 2006 Japan getting in touch with you being like, hey, that's our logo. <laughs> Maybe, but I did some due diligence. I, I, I really scoured the net and there's not a lot of trace of it. But if anyone can find it, I'm, I embrace the origins of it. Like, I'm not running away from it. I'm not like trying to say, oh, I totally made this up. Like, no, this, it's part of the story. It's part of what makes this all special. 
is it starting there? And right now, so you literally just launched this week. What's the status? How, how's it going? Bro, people are buying it, which is great. You know what I mean? At a price point. I mean, these are, again, these are expensive items of, of clothing, uh, like 180 pounds for a sweatshirt. Again, incredibly high quality <laughs> sweatshirt. But I mean, were you surprised that, oh shit, people are actually buying these things? Of course, of course. Like the pricing is something that's, you know, weighed heavy on me from the beginning because I, I can't afford it. I'm still saving up for some of my shit. Yeah, I don't just put it on. I have to literally, I buy it like everyone else buys it. So I was thinking, who's my audience? Who do I appeal to? People my age, some of them aren't even in full-time jobs. So how would they, how does this work? So yeah, to, to have some interest, it's been slow and steady, but perfect, to be honest. Perfect enough for me to still have a job, still be able to iterate on the website because I built the website and um, everything. I've got to come up with content on like a daily basis, every two day basis. It's a one-man band right now, solo operation. One-man band, yeah. So not to say that I haven't had help from like lots of my peers, family and colleagues and stuff like that, but yeah, it's predominantly all me, man. Inventory, back-end, MailChimp, mail letters. It's all back-end now. I don't even know when I'm going to be able to design again. <laughs> because it's like, uh, yeah, all my stores, all my Facebook ads, all these things now. It's like, it's getting interesting. What have you run into that you've been surprised by? This back end. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you focus a lot on the product and not enough on like the CMS or whatever. Exactly. I had no idea. And it's funny because I, I now design these kind of infrastructures and CMS and stuff is stuff that I know about. I just thought, yeah, Shopify, when I, when I have to, I'll get it all done. Didn't know, you know, SKUs, potentially getting barcodes, you know, um, the weight of the garment, um, sorting out shipping, who's your courier. It's product as well, your, your product price, is it including your postage or do you add that at checkout? Because, you know, that, that can deter a lot of people. So all of these things I didn't know until about 48 hours before, <laughs> before I put the website live. I swear to you, the Wednesday and the Thursday, I was up to like 4 a.m. literally tweaking the website. It's like, what do you mean it costs a hundred pounds to ship? Oops. <laughs> yeah, literally things like, things like that. Yeah, and setting up all the MailChimp, setting up my Shopify, getting buy button, injecting bits of code in. It was mad, <laughs> to be honest. But we, we got there in the end and it's, it's working. It's working, man. I like it. And that's it this week. As ever, get in touch with any thoughts, comments, or feedback, anything at all. I'm at Daniel at CourierMedia.co. The Courier Weekly's back again next Friday. We'll see you then.